0: did i miss anything my first first run at this you've done great you did great (laughs) thank (laughs) you the best
1: episode so far i loved it (laughs) (laughs) It i was smiling so big the whole time listeners you can't see me but like my face was just plastered in a smile the whole time i hope you can hear it in my voice at least
0: Welcome to Not Yet a Doctor, the podcast where by the end of this episode, you'll be rethinking all of your life choices. <laughs> um, I'm Om. <laughs> I'm finishing, well, finished
2: my PhD at McGill.
1: I'm Sienna. I'm uh, finishing, hopefully, my PhD in neuroscience at McGill University.
2: And I'm Alistair, and I have finished my PhD in analytical chemistry from Queen's University. And we're your PhD three were.
0: to were so this is my first episode that I'll be hosting. Woohoo! So I'm really excited to be doing that with everyone. Welcome. Uh, I guess we'll do a little intro before I get started. Just to give a little background on myself. I'm the aging guy from the aging episode. <laughs> so
1: The aging researcher. Exactly.
0: I like to watch cells get old and see if we can fix that. Yeah. And so I just wrapped up at McGill or I'm in the process of wrapping up. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to be a part of this and ecstatic. I've been a huge fan for the longest
2: time and I can't wait to actually be a, uh,
0: do, an, do an actual episode. So uh,
2: I'm ecstatic. And we're so fortunate to have you and stepping we're... in and joining us on yes. this podcast. So it's awesome to have another host.
1: Very excited. Thank you guys. And I no longer have to carry the whole field of biology on <laughs> my back alone. So, it was a heavy bur- <laughs> I'm very grateful. It was a heavy burden, no
2: doubt about it. <laughs>
1: It sure was
2: i however now have the dual responsibility of physics and chemistry on my side so well yeah.
0: that's where i can also help you out a little bit also you know the, i'm a biochemist so oh, it true, kind of works right.
2: out Bridging <laughs> so the I'm, gap i can bridge that gap so
0: <laughs> i'll carry a little bit of the load here
2: <laughs> a so, little bit not too much um your tagline was that we'll be questioning everything we thought what was it <laughs>
0: That's right. You'll be rethinking all of your life
2: choices. I already because, do that on a day-to-day basis.
0: Yeah. So, right. the goal for this episode, or at least what I'm hoping to talk about, is how do cells decide? You know, what their fate or what their outcomes in life are gonna be. How do how does one cell decide? I'm gonna be a skin cell, or another cell decide? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm gonna be a nail cell or an eye cell or whatever you wanna Ooh. whatever you wanna call it.
2: Okay. So.
0: I want to start off the podcast basically by asking you guys a very simple, like kind of stri- hopefully simple, straightforward question. What is the difference between different cells? If I had to ask you the simplest explanation, how could you differentiate between you know, say your eye cell and your muscle cell, for example?
2: Um, ooh, 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 ooh. I want to, I want yeah, to take Alex a stab at this it. before Sienna knocks it out of the park. Go for uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably uh, where they're found in terms if you're talking about a human body, different cells are found in different areas. Um, And then they will also have probably a different expression of proteins and organelles and different things in it. Like, I don't know, I'm spitballing here, but I think muscle cells have a lot of mitochondria in them because they have to produce a lot of energy to do the muscle thing. But as we learned about in our um, episode on stem cells, all cells basically come from a single cell, a stem cell. Uh, You nailed it. So
0: but i'm really excited to learn how this happens exactly so i'm going to be avoiding like the developmental part of this and just really focusing on like how does the job how does the cell know what job to do Mm. but i think you've nailed it on the head so Mm -hmm. different cells will effectively express different proteins right like a muscle cell will have contractile proteins you kind of and will have more mitochondrial proteins than other cells Mm. whereas like an eyeball cell will have for example photoreceptors I don't, your skin doesn't need photoreceptors, so why you know why express them? why have them? And this also you can see this, these effects also take, taking place in your RNAs as well because your RNAs make proteins, right? So you'll have more of those same set of RNAs uh, in individual cells. And we can actually see that. you know we can do proteome analysis, which is like your different types of proteins that you have in each cell and your transcriptome, which is your RNA transcript. So we can actually uh, see that uh, when we actually look into the cells.
1: So, yeah, we oh, got the epigenome analysis. Oh, we're
0: going to get to the epigenome. <laughs> Spoiler alert, red alarm here. We're going to get into that. So, you know, all of our cells have the same DNA, right? Like that's what makes you unique mm-hmm. uh, to a large degree and what makes us also the same in other ways. Um, so the question ultimately mm-hmm. is why don't cells just express all the same protein? How does your uh, skin cell know not to make photoreceptors or contractile proteins? Why doesn't your, I don't know, <laughs> your your nose just decide one day i'm gonna be a foot right that that would be really bad so maybe there's a way for us to actually like modify what parts of the genome gets interpreted or made by each cell
2: so like if only like a system like this existed that sienna just perfectly nailed them in the head if only. okay wait i want to i, I want to clarify something because sure i think i understand this but i think cells all of our cells have the same genes in them which is the dna that makes up our organism that's right but mm-hmm. those genes are expressed differently in different cells to create different bits of rna to create different proteins so exactly right. my answer for why cells are different was there's different proteins but also there can be different bits of rna in different cells Yeah, that is weird that there's different bits of RNA, but there aren't different genes in every cell. Every cell has the same genes.
0: Exactly. So how does a cell know what to do, right? Um, How does it decide? And the fun fact is it doesn't decide. It's kind of told what to do. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so cells have this kind of amazing way to make certain parts of the genome accessible or inaccessible to being read. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we're going to give you guys a bit of a refresher. Uh, Again, like we already said, DNA is made into RNA, which is then made into protein. And so the question always is how is DNA actually being read? How is it interpreted? And so this is ultimately how cells determine their unique identity. And so there are these subset of proteins called DNA binding proteins. Okay. And they can actually bind to DNA and read the DNA. To be more specific, these are called transcription factors. So what Mm -hmm. they'll do is they'll actually bind the DNA and they'll tell the cell Time to make RNA in this area, Mm -hmm. all right? So this, But this whole process requires for the DNA to be open and accessible. So if it's not open or accessible, there's no way to read it. It's blind to it, right? Mm -hmm. And so there are two levels of accessibility. One is inherent to the DNA itself, and another one is a structural part of the DNA, which we call like the chromosomes, right? We know about chromosomes. Mm -hmm. And this is what we call like the epigenome or the above the genome. One layer above. The genome is all the same in every cell in your body. At least it should be, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. And so the changes between
2: cells are, or the differences between the cells are the epigenome. Okay. Right. And one thing that we, I don't remember what episode this was in, but I remember we took a bit of a tangent learning about how DNA actually doesn't sit in the chromosomes when it's doing its mm-hmm. thing in the body it's only when it's dividing that it forms the chromosomes and divides um, which is something I learned like a year ago I, I always right. thought that there were these little X's <laughs> and little y's floating around in your in your uh, nucleus
0: um, right I mean that's the yeah. that's the higher order chromosome but there's a lower order where in the nucleus itself it is sitting there still structured right in that sim in a similar yes. structure but it doesn't look like X's in that
1: scenario but they mm. are still I think we described it last time. The nucleus is more like a ball of yarn. Yeah, that's like more or less knotted depending exactly. on the region.
0: And so I'm gonna I'm gonna get into some like there's some background here, but the cool paper at the end of this will fulfill your, uh, or at least
1: if it's about DNA accessibility, I'm so yeah. <laughs> in. it's a big part of this. <laughs> this is all I do. Exactly. <laughs> and so
0: you guys know about how the DNA is coded, right? There are four bases.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Does anybody know who mm-hmm. they, what they are? Who they
1: are? At Uh, i do but i want to see alistair this is the
0: make alistair suffer episode oh good great okay
1: (laughs) yes this is the weekend i want alistair about cells
2: adenine guanine cytosine and uracil that's, Jeez, RNA. that's rna that's RNA, rna yourself you tyrosine you treacherous
0: yeah perfect Good. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, tyrosine th- not tyrosine thymine i heard i heard th- thymine that's, that's thiamine. what i said i I, know, said I thought
1: we'll, we'll play that back the audio <laughs> exactly. we can we got it we can go back
0: <laughs> i heard the t and i was like yes get it up but for simplicity <laughs> yeah. and for the listeners just keep it as simple as a c t g yes. all right and that's what we're taught you know that's what we read when you see dna on like a piece of paper, you see ATCG in a bunch of different, uh, different orders and will make different genes as a consequence. Mm-hmm. And so the way I look at this is that depending on the order of the nucleotides, this kind of act like a signature or a come over here signal for those transcription factors to tell them, hey, make this gene. And all these transcription factors have unique signatures is kind of the way I look at it. But there is a way to make these signatures like void where you can't see them anymore and they're invisible. Mm. And in particular the Cs or the cytosines, right, in DNA are commonly erased is kind of the way I look at it. And the way to erase them is to kinda of add a little group on them or a moiety that we call a methyl group. I'm sure you're I'm familiar uh, with I all are. about the methyl groups, yeah, right? CH three. Exactly. And without getting too deep into it, that C, when you add it into an area where a transcription factor should be, it goes invisible right just to keep it as simple as we can and so now suddenly we can't make the gene that hangs out in that area
2: anymore so i know you want to keep it simple but i want to dive into a little bit here does it actually refold the gene the dna so that the it basically creates a loop of this bit and the transcription factor kind of jumps over it
0: it's not quite that it's in this scenario where we're affecting the dna directly Mm -hmm. it's actually just the transcription factor has basically seen its sequence let's say it's Gattaca, okay? And if that C is gets modified, it only sees gata. And it's like, I don't belong here. I shouldn't be binding here anymore. Oh.
1: It has to do with like the high specificity of proteins for what they're able to and bind And it's simply to. from... So modified C just doesn't look the same as a and regular so it's exactly. just
2: by methylating a cytosine. Exactly. Wow. Adding just one little carbon group. That's really cool.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so that process is known as DNA methylation, right? Mm. If your signature site mm-hmm. is methylated, transcription factor can't bind or make any more of that RNA or protein, right? And like the way I look at it is like terms of service. <laughs> so <laughs> like a cell is signing where they're, to be, like, where they're told to sign and it doesn't matter anymore. Mm. And so we won't, I'm not going to get into like how certain signing decisions are made, like why Rogers tells you to do this or why Verizon tells you to sign here or Google. I'm not gonna, we're not getting into that. That's higher level stuff and above our pay grade. Um, and it probably would require like 10 episodes for us to get through. And it's, it's, it's genuinely boring, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: so biology is never boring, please.
2: Hey, at least you're honest. Developmental.
0: <laughs> I, I will say this, and I mean this with peace and love to the developmental biologist. But what they do is very hard, <gasps> and I could I couldn't do it. That's the way I'm gonna put it.
1: Developmental biology is one of my favorite biologies. It's the cornerstone
0: of a lot of everything, right? But and it's
1: so interesting. I can't,
0: I can't do it. So beyond DNA methylation, there's an even higher order way of doing this, right? So in the case of humans, we have our DNA and it's tightly it's organized into our 23 pairs of chromosomes, right? I know we talked about that only being in, uh, during division, but we have our chromosomes and so dna is super super organized right and in fact our single strands of dna or sorry double strands of dna i should say are wrapped around kind of these beads okay and these are called histones and they wrap around about three or four times for each group of histones each bead wrapping is called a nucleosome this is not important you don't need to remember this
2: it's um, not gonna be on the test
0: it's not on the test
1: Sometimes we do a quiz at the end of the episodes. We've been forgetting to do that.
2: Oh, my God. We haven't done a quiz in so long. <gasps> there will be a quiz. This I'm bringing quiz. it back. <gasps> I'm bringing it back.
1: Yes, okay. finally. So,
0: and so this organization is really important, right? We're wrapping around beads, and we keep doing that and keep doing that. Imagine in this scenario, like, very loose yarn that's all together and beat it up, yes. right? Or like the beads. Uh, necklaces that you make as a kid, mm. right? And then mm-hmm. that gets organized in and of itself, right, into another formation that we're effectively calling chromosomes, into this full length of DNA. And so, depending on how tightly or not tightly the DNA is wrapped, you can imagine that this would make certain proteins accessible or not accessible to actually being able to associate with the DNA or bind to the DNA. And this particularly affects transcription factors, right? And the way you can look at this is This is really important for biologists to know, but DNA is negatively charged, generally speaking, and the histones are positively charged, which is why they like to associate to each other. But what if, like we did with the methyls almost, we added a negative charge to the histones? What happens then? Repulsion. Exactly. And then what happens to the DNA, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, It becomes more accessible or open or loose, right? And -hmm. so that allows for more proteins to bind and more... Uh, factors to associate and we get more RNA as a consequence and Sienna knows this because she does a lot of this kind of sequencing but places that have a lot of transcription right will have a lot of this negatively charged histone nearby it as well Mm. so we know that that uh, correlation exists and if you remove that negative charge off DNA we get more tightly wound DNA Right, and makes it inaccessible.
1: Not that we have to necessarily include this specifically, but are we talking about histone acetylation right now? Yes, we are. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> I was just going to ask, how
2: do you make histones negatively charged? So let's,
0: let's start from there. <laughs> here we go. In this scenario here, what we do is we'll add a group, just like the methyl, but in this case, it's called an acetyl group. All right? It's a methyl with a double bonded O. So it's a, hmm. a C, then a methyl, and then a double bonded O. That's the group. It's a coochie. <laughs> it's a coochie. It's a cootie, It is a <laughs> And so oxygen is superly, super negatively charged, yeah. right? And it repels DNA away. Mm. And if you remove that, it brings the DNA back in. So this is another way to control who's allowed into the club and who's not allowed into the yeah. club.
2: So <laughs> it's kind of... I always thought of DNA floating around in the nucleus like uh, spaghetti in a pot of water, just kind of all floating around loosey-goosey. But it sounds like there's these these histones that actually allow for the pasta in my analogy to clump together in certain parts and repel in other parts and be more spread out. That is a great analogy, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um. I just don't know what the histones are in my analogy, but there's something that you can put in. I don't know. A rock. (laughs) Meatballs. Meatballs. Yeah, meatballs. (laughs) Call them meatballs. That are really...
1: Spaghetti and
2: meatballs. (laughs) (laughs) Meatballs that are really spaghetti attractive and cause your spaghetti Mm -hmm. to clump up and then you can't really uh eat lots of little i don't know make lots of proteins um but if there are fewer meatballs or they're negatively charged then there's more transcription this, this this is just falling apart and becoming a description of what you just said i'm just hungry and i want
0: <laughs> spaghetti and meatballs now
2: but i think i think we've got
0: the idea right where basically like you said if things are t- tightly round we don't get many much activity whereas if things are loosely bound we mm-hmm. can get lots of activity and that's in a nutshell the epigenome right without getting into more complex Mm -hmm. things. And it gets way more complicated than that because proteins don't act in isolation, they act in groups, but we're not gonna get into that. Right. Mm -hmm. So now this brings me into my personal side and where I'm gonna kinda hopefully break your brains. We'll find out. (laughs) As you guys know, I'm the aging guy. I try to be the aging guy. And one thing we know in the aging field is for some reason, two weird things happen as you get older to your cells and this happens to all of your cells, right? The chromosome loosens and suddenly becomes more readable to all cells. And we also have this other part where the DNA becomes more methylated. So it's like also being repressed in other parts. And so like the genome is in tatters over time. And you can imagine what this does to a cell's identity. If certain cells are only able to read certain areas and suddenly as you're getting older, those areas are becoming more accessible but then other areas are being shut down as you're getting older, the cells suddenly don't know what to do anymore.
2: Right. They go through like (laughs) a a late life crisis.
0: Exactly. Right. Exactly. (laughs) They're going through an existential crisis and they lose their identity. Right. And we even know based on how much DNA methylation there is or how much negative histone there is, how old the cell is. Or for example, like we can see the difference between an 80 year old individual, and a twenty-year-old individual, based on
2: the differences uh, in the epigenome. That's really cool. Is now does that have to be? Do you have to know where the cell has come from, or if you just were given a cell and given another cell, you could determine the age of that well, person? That the you'd cell have can. to
0: compare it to the same cell population.
2: So, like a young eyeball cell versus an old eyeball cell. Right. You couldn't. You couldn't compare someone's, an old person's pancreas cell to a skin cell from a. Baby. exactly i don't know why are we taking skin cells from babies alistair come on <laughs> <laughs> well exactly but, yeah.
0: and that's because already they have huge differences in what they express which is what we're getting at in this episode mm-hmm. and so you can compare oranges to apples but we can compare a rotten right. apple to
1: an apple <laughs> right right, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> we just called old people rotten apples no no no. the babies are the rotten the babies apples babies are the rotten apples okay? we'll take it <laughs> Ah, oh, typical. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah. that's how aging works. Is you go from rotten to un-rotten. I mean, that's what my uh, parents would say. <laughs> <laughs> Fair
0: and they listen to this podcast, so <laughs> we have to wander. exactly. So, so, and that like develops this idea that we also call like the DNA clock, right? Mm. And ultimately, that <laughs> ends up affecting the RNA, and then ultimately affects the protein. And we can look at that at each stage. Differences in RNA can also tell you dif- differences in age, and differences in protein can tell you differences in age ultimately this is like not a good thing right and this loss in identity can lend to tissue damage and like loss of function of your organs as we get older these are all like uh, outcomes of getting older itself right and suddenly we're not expressing the same genes at the same efficiency suddenly your immune system's a little weaker suddenly you're remembering a little less like this isn't good right it sounds not good yeah. Or is it good? <laughs> is that gonna be the, the big twist. twist?
1: If the big twist is aging is good, I'll well, be shocked. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I what this be did
0: is it kind of created this idea, right? Like the epigenome changes, right? And is affected by the, uh, the yeah. environment and affected by time. Naturally, mm. we have these changes in the epigenome. And so the idea there would be if our epigenome is getting older or looks older in older cells. Can we take those older cells, and fix their epigenome, and ultimately mm. fix their RNA, and then fix their proteins, right? And effectively, can we
2: change a cell's fate? <laughs> it's the goal of this episode. I'm curious what they are going to pick. Yeah, <laughs> it almost sounds like you're wanting to like turn back time, like yes, repairing the t- changes and damage to the epigenome oh. to. Make the cell think that it's young again. Basically, That's exactly. I feel it.
1: like you're gonna pick my favorite paper that came out last year. It, if it is
0: your favorite paper, <laughs> it, this is the David Sinclair paper. It came out last year. It came out about a year and a couple months ago, so December
1: 2020. This might. <laughs> I'm. This is absolutely my favorite paper. <laughs> <laughs> she's. She, she's all. I know this paper. <laughs> so. So,
0: like, a cell can't decide on its own to change its fate, but we can force them to. (laughs) We can tell them. And this can, like, allow for a lot of cool therapeutic opportunities. And aging itself Mm -hmm. was the window to realize this uh, effect. And so imagine you could take some damaged tissue and you could reprogram it and tell it, hey, it's time to fix yourself. Become more rejuvenative. And by wiping out their old epigenome and reorienting them into, like, a new path, give them another life. And so that's exactly what uh, Yuang Chen in uh, David Sinclair's group at Harvard did. That's exactly it. And this paper is called Sienna, tell me if this is it, We're programming to recover youthful epigenetic information and restore vision. Yeah, This is this it. is
1: absolutely my favorite paper. Okay,
2: cool. wait, before we before we dive into the really yep, serious yep, yep, science, yep, yep. this just makes me think of like when you do some spring cleaning and clean out your house or something. But I also thought of um, when I had a car, my cabin air filter needed to be changed. And I was too cheap to buy a new one. So I just took out the air filter, gave it a good shake, like brushed it off a bit and then put it back in. And it was good as new, you know, filtering that exactly. air
0: in my and, car. But imagine, <laughs> if, okay. imagine if, you're if we could take that car filter and tell it to clean itself yeah (laughs) yeah and not only that suddenly make new pieces so that's kind of where that we're going with this right
1: this really ties back into our stem cells episode because i know you said it was the aging field that went forward with this but it was also the stem cell field if i like we remember i talked about that initial yamanaka paper where they discovered the four factors Mm. that can turn a cell from any cell into a stem cell I don't know if I mentioned that one of the parts of the data that they looked at in that paper was that they looked at the epigenome marks and they saw that the epigenome marks too from the original like final cell types changed back to what looked like stem cell epigenome marks with the the instructions that they gave the cells which we'll save for the paper reveal exactly
0: so I'll (laughs) give a little bit of a hint here they don't go as far back (laughs) as stem cells which is also an important Mm -hmm. and cool part of this study. But yeah. the, the stem cell field did in fact, exactly as Senna said, lend a huge hand in, uh, in uh, setting this whole thing up. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: what they did, <laughs> their goal effectively was to restore vision in mice with nerve damage in a, uh, or like in a model of glaucoma. And I don't know if you know what glaucoma is, but it's a very, there's a variety of different uh, ways that glaucoma can be induced. But in effect, it's as you get older, it's a loss in the, uh, in the uh, neurons in your eye that will ultimately lead to a loss in vision. And it happens mm-hmm. to older individuals in the human population. So it's a really important and pressing issue. And if we can resolve it, more power to us, right?
1: So mm-hmm. what did they do? I love this paper mm-hmm. so much. I'm so excited. Right. <laughs>
2: it is <laughs> so, so good. Good. I excited. I it. want it to... Sorry, go
1: ahead. I can give like a little personal narrative. Mm-hmm. It came out last year, right before I had to give a talk on something incredibly related to mm-hmm. this paper, which is my own research. And it was like, It had just like this key piece of information that I needed to make a transition in my research presentation kind of like perfectly meld. Mm. And I was just like, it came out like three days before I gave the presentation. I was like, bless, Mm. bless Harvard, bless the heavens, bless whoever, (laughs) like bless the whole world for producing this paper exactly when I needed it to make this like beautiful point in my talk about the epigenome transcriptome and aging and injury exactly so, is also why this is like such a good paper this paper is
0: near and dear to my heart david st clair is a big inspiration to a lot of the work that i do because he's like awesome mm-hmm. about taking all these different fields and just like pushing forward therapeutic and i love that mm. and so again a little bit of background a lot of background in this episode and a lot of what they, they do here in this paper is kind of i would consider kind of brutal to the mice but it's <laughs> worth it for the outcome mm-hmm. is kind of what i'm this way i'm gonna put it i feel like they tried to do the yeah. least harm to try and get the best result they could and really show i think
1: that's always the case we talked about this we talked about this in some of the biology episodes mm. but we just like to put a little note notice a little notification that we do talk about animal research especially in biology and some of it is rough yeah. brutal but that's the way science goes okay. sometimes. Least harm possible. And, and that's exactly the premise. They're yeah. really trying to make
0: this into a therapeutic in the future, so they have to mm-hmm. test this on mice and this is how it goes. And so the cells that, you know, are really important for taking the signals from your eyes to your brain, and Sienna, you're the boss here, are the retinal ganglion cells. Am I right?
1: They're, yes, yes, they are. And <laughs> I actually just gave a talk this morning about. <laughs> there we go.
0: And so they're like a really unique and cool set of cells because they like reside, like their um, dendrites reside in the eye, like their, ax- their projections are into the eye. And so they're one of the few cells that actually go outside of the human body in a sense, right? Because your eyes are like some of the only tissue that are exposed to the wilderness outside of your skin, right? like the one of the, the few no you're, you're blowing <laughs> my mind
2: a little bit that i guess you're right
1: that's, yeah i just yeah. found
0: it interesting because they bring that up in the in the paper and i was like ah, i didn't really consider them that interesting for that reason but
1: what do they say in the paper about that i'm confused too about this point
0: they reside in the eyes and thus outside of the skull right
1: oh yeah they're the only part of your central nervous system that's outside of your that's outside of your central nervous system essentially yeah it's very interesting
2: what about, like, isn't your tongue part of your central nervous nope. system? Nope.
1: All, like... Like the neurons mm-hmm. on your tongue? All neurons in your body that are, like, in muscles or in skin are peripheral Oh, nervous. right.
2: Part of the PNS. The PNS.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Part of the peripheral nervous system. But the eyes are part mm-hmm. of the central nervous system, despite residing outside of your
2: skull. Quick, stupid question. Mm-hmm. Central nervous system is, like brain and spinal cord. And eyes. And eyes. Yes. Uh, peripheral nervous system is everything else that has neurons, um, basically.
1: I think so. I would agree. I would say it's a pretty, pretty good pretty way to describe sure it. pretty sure that is accurate. Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: I mean, I'm just picturing those creepy central nervous system diagrams. it's literally a brain with eyes. Yes. Spine.
0: yes. Yeah. So typically what happens as you age, these, if you were to damage these, um, I'm going to call them RGCs to make my life easy. <laughs> Love that. If you, damage these R- if you damage these RGCs as you're older, they can't regenerate. But in young folks, they can right? And I'm talking really young, like developmental mm. baby age, below baby age, right? Uh, maturity is effectively when you're young, a young child and above. Um, and so they slowly lose their ability to actually regenerate. What they did is they actually went in and they crushed the optic nerve. Of these mice oh <laughs> right which effectively rendered the mice blind right in one eye and they did this it's in good. one eye clarify mm-hmm. for everyone
1: listening a... our listeners you only ever do this in one eye of a mouse exactly not that that That'll necessarily makes it less rough but <laughs> it also does make it less rough
0: mm-hmm. and what they did next is the the goal is you know crush it fix it and so to fix it here's where we get into the Yamanakas and stem cell episode so go back there for a bigger explanation for that <laughs> but the Yamanaka paper effectively what their goal is is to take cells or any type of cell is the ultimate goal and revert them back into a stem cell into what we call or inducible pluripotent stem cells if you remember from the episode pluripotent means can become any cell after that mm-hmm. is that right
1: not the extra embryonic tissues i think is important caveats <laughs> <And> <laughs> i think <laughs> listen to the episode Let's say yes. <laughs> Exactly. Don't listen to and us. So, listen to the episode.
0: The um, Yamanaka proteins, right? This is a set of four different proteins. And they're, they're MIC, OSC4, SOX2, LKF2. Not important for you to remember them, viewers or listeners. What's important is the acronyms MOSK. And if you give these to a cell, they will become a stem cell. That's the dream situation, right? And of course, the problem with that in the therapeutic scenario is that we don't want the eyes to go back and become stem cells. We want them to still stay as retinal ganglion cells. We don't want to completely, you know, completely uh, give them amnesia. You can look at it that way. (laughs) We want to just restore them to like a more youthful state. So what St. Clair did, which is kind of clever, is they just took one out. They took the M out and they left in OSK. All right. In this group of Yamanaka factors. So we'll call it Yamanaka light. All right. And uh, they put it into a completely harmless virus that we call, you know, AAVs. Again, not important, but allows them to express these three proteins, OSK. And then they injected that into the eyes and they wanted to find Mm -hmm. out, can, if we do this, will this restore their identity? Will they go back to being a young person, but not forget everything they're all about? Right.
1: I think important to note for our listeners that is when you when you cause this type of damage to the optic nerve which contains the axons of the retinal ganglion cells, so just the fiber that carries information from them, their cell body and the retina to the brain. When you crush this, there's like a lot of things that happen downstream. One, the axons degenerate, but two, a large proportion of these cells then also die because of the damage. So you're not only like losing the ability to transmit the single, but you also then end up losing the cell.
0: Mm. So not good, right? Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. So putting back these three proteins did this amazing thing. And you guys will be able to see it here in this image. And this is just staining for the actual axons axons themselves. And so you can see here, here's OSK here. And we'll have these images on our Instagram and all of our socials. So they were able to actually uh, promote regeneration of these cells,
2: right? So they injected injected this virus. I actually had a question Mm -hmm. about that. So I was wondering how they would get these factors into the eye. And I was thinking you just make the factors and inject them in. But you're saying that they actually found a virus that doesn't cause any adverse effects other than it is basically like a bubble envelope (laughs) for the factors. And it shows up at the door of the axons like, knock knock knock, here's your regeneration factors, go be a kid again.
0: That's what they're, they're it's called chimpanzee adenovirus and we have like a whole subset of them. So uh, they crushed these, expressed the genes, and they saw some restoration in the actual retinal ganglion cells. So that was a great start and good hope for what's going to happen next. So Mm -hmm. what does this have to do with the epigenome and why is it even interesting to us? Why did I bring up these crushed eyes, right? What was the point? And so this comes basically down to what it means to be youthful, which is what we were talking about a little bit earlier. So because of the changes that happen in the epigenome, this ultimately, like I said, affects protein and RNA. And we can actually measure this RNA and get like an old epigenome signature and a young epigenome signature. And they looked at this as well. And they also looked at the methylation as well, right? Lots of methylation in older, Uh, individuals, less methylation in younger individuals, and can we restore that, right, in these mice. And in fact, and I'm showing the signature here, (laughs) right, and this is effectively, we look at signatures, when we say this in biology, we just mean heat maps. And what you can really (laughs) see is a lot of blue and then a lot of these red genes that are highly expressed in these young, right, and these are the genes that are expressed by retinal ganglion cells. And if you'll see here in the older or second column, it's exactly what I was talking about earlier. Like there's this leakiness that happens when you become older and you start expressing genes you're not supposed to express and you start losing genes that you, you know, up here is completely black and you're losing genes that you should express a little bit, right? So this whole phenotype changes. But the moment that they add this uh, adenovirus, right? This AAV with the OSK genes, they kind of get this restoration, not complete but a good amount of restoration back into a young uh, epigenetic state, right? Epigenome mm-hmm. state. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing, and we when we look at the methylation, that's exactly what we see. A lot less of the methylation once they've added these three OSKs. Wow. So a part of what it means to be youthful, right, is like restoring the terms of service <laughs> that you had <laughs> at the beginning of being like a young cell, right? Yeah. And as you get older, you're slowly, you know, breaking the terms and you're taking advantage of different things or whatever, right? <laughs> you know, but uh, in this scenario here, you're going back. So they also did this. And again, <laughs> I was saying this, this is what I felt was kind of rough on the mice where like, how they induce glaucoma, right? Yeah. Um, because mice I'd normally don't get glaucoma. It's not a typical uh, phenotype.
1: Mice don't live long enough for most aging related diseases. Exactly. In general, mm-hmm. but definitely not glaucoma.
0: Exactly. And so what they did, and I have another picture here, is they use these microbeads, okay? These microbeads, what they do ultimately, right, is they increase the pressure in the eye, okay? And they lead to a loss in division or, like, death of the retinal
2: ganglion cells. So you're telling me that when I was a kid and I used to, like, hold my hands on my eye and push my eyes and see those, like, fun patterns and colors, I was actually damaging my eyes? I wouldn't go that far, no. I wouldn't go that far. No. If I I kept that pressure on long enough, I would lead to neural degeneration.
0: I would not, Yeah, probably not. It's not that bad. Okay. (laughs) It's not not that kind of pressure. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Exactly. And then what they did to test the loss of vision, again, I, like, a bit of like a evil chamber, right? Like a, what is So it? they put them into this kind of, how do I put this? A fun house. A fun house, <laughs> yes. thank you. And where they have, like mice don't like, look at things arbitrarily, right? Like you need to kind of put them into a situation where they're forced to look at certain patterns, right? They're really good at pattern recognition. And so what you can do, is you can put them into a chamber where there's like these straight lines and again we're providing this schematic uh in the instagram hopefully and you can effectively spin that faster and faster right and the mice will try and like follow they'll try and look at what's going on mm-hmm. and you can spin it both ways so we have and you can and by doing that you can measure their acuity or how easily they can actually see these patterns mm-hmm. And obviously what you see when you do this with the mice is they lose acuity when you add the beads, right? right? That's, it's not a good thing. Of for course. Them, right? Because they're, they are going a bit blind with these beads, right? And this is again, like a model of glaucoma. But what was really interesting is when they added in this OSK gene to these mice, they partially restored their vision, their acuity, we should say, to be more specific. Yeah, And they also did this in, um, well, not this exact experiment, but to see whether or not this was relevant to humans at all, right? Could we eventually transition this to people? They used neuron models of uh, human neuron models. And they showed again in those scenarios when they damaged the neurons and added this OSK genes. And this is in a little culture dish that they were able to partially regrow as well.
2: Wow. So so this is really cool. Yeah. Um, I have a question about this figure. What's Mm. the difference between the baseline and the treated?
0: So in this scenario here, because the virus is inducible, I should say it's doxycycline inducible, you can turn it on. So right. here it's not on.
2: Okay, so you're you're adding the virus with OSK, but you're not flipping the switch to turn it on in the baseline. Exactly. And then in the treated. wow, they have so much control over this. I thought it was literally just like throw the virus in and hope that it works, but it's actually inducible?
1: Cool. There's wild, wild vi- inducible viruses okay. <laughs> It's
0: there. It's a complicated science, which is why I was kind of... Avoiding, yeah. but yes, exactly. And so, at the end of all this, you know, the big question is: Can we rejuvenate cells into in mice to be more youthful? And like that, this ultimately depends on the epigenome, and it seems to be relevant in human you know, humans. So, can we do this in other systems? Right, like that's mm-hmm. the hope. Mm-hmm. So this will, you know, with time, hopefully, you know, this will tell us whether or not this is relevant to people, uh, whether or not we can use this in others tissues and other organs, and you know, we'll just have to keep putting these mice through a little bit for, you know, some hope in the, um, in the regenerative field as well. So this is like a huge big breakthrough and I really love this paper. And, and one of the, um, oftentimes when these papers are published, we get like a lot of news coverage and a lot of other scientists writing about it. And one of the quotes I really liked was, you know, for decades it's been argued that understanding normal neural development processes would one day lead to the tools to repair age and damaged brain. Lou and colleagues, that's this paper, worked to make this clear. That era has now arrived. So it's very cool. cool, very cool, right? And so, so
2: in your non non doctor, non medical doctor opinion, do you think, as a treatment for a person with glaucoma, injecting this virus that has OSK, the OSK factors, could be a therapeutic?
0: Not only could it be, it's in clinical development. It's already right
2: in clinical development. It's in cool. Cl- it's in, it so is.
0: it's yeah, it is. So Saint Clair has a company that he started recently, and also I had the opportunity to meet with one of the investors before this paper was published, cool. which was really cool as well. Wow! And so there's people who are pushing to you know get this out there. Yeah, because
2: I mean, so I, it's, I don't know, but I don't think there is really a treatment or cure for glaucoma right now. No. So no, to have no. this be an option is super cool
0: it hasn't passed like phase one or any of that yet it's just in development to start that yeah Yeah. so his company is pushing that
1: but it is like a gene editing and like this type of like cure or therapeutic is really new but it's not that new because we do have an aav gene therapy that was i'm pretty sure approved for spinal muscular atrophy so there's Spinal muscular atrophy, this specific type, kills kids before they're two years old. Essentially, like, there's no cure. It's a genetic disease, and there's an AAV gene therapy that has had huge success in pretty much curing the disease. That's really cool. And they just inject it in, because it's another, well, it's another neurological disease, so it affects motor neurons in the spinal cord, and so they inject it into the spinal cord. Cool. And, yeah, it's really remarkable how well it works unfortunately it's insanely expensive Mm. so not really accessible yeah but hopefully with more development on therapies like these things will get cheaper because it's really cool gene therapy is really cool and it really should be accessible because it can do amazing things
2: Mm -hmm. and even like on a therapeutic side that's really neat that it's already being used for certain diseases, but also just from the idea of being able to take cells and take aged cells and make them young again, that's mm-hmm. a really cool application that isn't necessarily just for therapies of specific drugs yeah. or <laughs> therapies of specific diseases. It's, it's really cool that something that I would just think of as a one-way street, like a cell going towards older age and death basically is actually potentially reversible.
0: Yeah. It's definitely not a one way street, which is the really cool thing about this. And we're like, part of my new job as well as that I work in the gene therapy group. Mm. So in the rare disease research unit, and this is exactly what we do. We try and find diseases where, for example, you lose functionality due to like one change in the genome that can cause a disease. And that often happens with like rare repeat diseases like Huntington's or ALS things like this Mm -hmm. and you can replace the gene by doing AAV for example cool yeah okay so quiz time let's keep it simple oh
2: man so we haven't (laughs) done I have to say we haven't done a quiz in (laughs) probably half a season if not longer I know
1: I don't know why it stopped I can't believe we forgot I completely forgot that we did quizzes. I like completely forgot, which is wild because it was iconic.
2: Yeah, I know. I really enjoyed them. Uh, but yeah, let's test our knowledge. Listeners, test get out knowledge. your pens and papers.
1: <laughs> All right. So. Oh, but our hmm?
2: buzzers. We got two oh, do our buzzers. Exactly. I totally forgot. <laughs> That's I what I was going to ask next. There was like a whole season that we didn't have quizzes. So I'm, I'm glad we're bringing it back. Glad glad you bring it back on. All right. So. what's your buzzer uh what's my buzzer (laughs) let's go oh why do i have to be first i uh someone had to be (laughs) my buzzer is gonna be um and that's perfect the sound of the transcription factors uh deleting aging effects in cells perfect sienna
1: um my buzzer is gonna be bing bong
0: Is there a reason for that? No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. No. That's worries. just what it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: So, <laughs> first question: What are the modifications or changes that can cause changes in how transcription factors read DNA?
2: How's uh, that? One of them is methylation of cytosine. Good. And what's on. the other one? Oh. See that? <laughs> oh.
1: Acetylation of histones beautiful so that's adding Mm -hmm. a negative charge to the histone right yeah also methylation of histones but we didn't go there today (laughs) okay we didn't go there you studied this
0: (laughs) because methylation of histones adds a whole other three dimensionality to this that's Mm -hmm. so complicated (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) next question in the context of well let me put it this way the uh, yamanaka factors i'm bringing it back to old old episodes okay there were four act four letters okay
2: You guys remember what they are? M O S and K. Perfect.
1: Don't ask Mm -hmm. me. And do you want to know what the jeans are? Bing (laughs) bong. This is gonna be a tie. Oh my god. Mick, Oct four, Sox two, and KLF four.
2: I now remember why we stopped doing quizzes because Sienna just kept adding (laughs) questions in so she would win. This
1: this is really unfair because like, I I know this. (laughs) (laughs) I've taken courses in this.
0: Right now the scores I'm gonna say one one. <laughs> because okay. I'm gonna give everyone half. Sure. I'm gonna give everyone half point. Us. Okay. The next question is As we age, what modifications are lost? And what are
1: gained? Bing Bong.
0: Sienna. Sienna got it first.
1: I feel bad, but um, methylation of DNA is gained and acetylation of histones is lost. That's correct. Sienna up one <laughs> <So I> mean, <laughs> in this in this uh But also we have,
2: there's more senescence of the cells. I don't know. One, I'll <laughs> give you back one. back to our
1: senescence episode. <laughs> 1.5 to
2: 2.
1: <laughs> I would and, like to say, uh, mm-hmm. interrupt for a moment. Um, yes, Om is our new host, but he is also our senescence guy. And you should go back and listen to that episode because that's also related to today's episode. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very true.
0: Uh, and the last question, okay? What types of cells were crushed <laughs> <laughs> <You
1: Alistair. can't... laughs>
2: the neural ganglion cells and Oh my god
1: Oh my god bang. Bong. A, a Retinal ganglion. Retinal cells. ganglion.
2: Oh did I
0: say neural ganglion? I'm gonna give Alistair half of the <laughs> one to Sienna. The score is three two in a <laughs> in this quiz
1: if i did not win this quiz it would have been embarrassing
0: <laughs> this is true this is true it was a gimme honestly <laughs> So I suppose that concludes today's episode. You can email us at ph three to b at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, uh all of the relevant socials at uh not yet a doctor. So ultimately, I'm Om. I'm Sienna. And I'm Alistair. And we're your pH three3. Maybe. Three, Nailed it. <laughs> well done. <laughs>